Okay, uh, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where we left off last week. Um, this is uh, dealing, of course, with uh, improper use, or I should say, yeah, improper use of uh, gifts, in particular tongues. Uh, the problem they had at Corinth with uh, tongue, we call it tongues, foreign languages, um, was that uh, a, a lot of people, they turned it into tongues like people do today, where you jabber and carry on and all that. Well, the problem was there were a lot of pretenders at Corinth. Uh, some people <coughs> actually had a gift. They would, uh, uh, some could speak in a foreign language, uh, or some could speak to an audience in their own language. Uh, even though they might only know French, but they could speak to Americans, uh, and it, it would come out in English. Uh, because, because the audience doesn't know what the foreigner is saying in his own language, uh, the thing to do is to not talk unless there's an interpreter. Well, the problem was they were talking anyway. Uh, and then throw in on top of that, there were people who uh, pretended to be speaking by inspiration, and they would just rat rattle on and on and on. Well, that presented a problem for Paul. Uh, you can't tell people to stop speaking in tongues because there were some people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you had just, just cut it out, then these people are not going to be able to uh, reveal a divine message. Uh, so what Paul is doing here is he's not actually shutting down the pretenders, but given the rules he sets in place, the pretenders aren't going to be able to speak to the assembly, the church assembly, because uh, there has to be an interpreter. And of course, there's no interpreter because they're not saying anything, they're just jabbering. And then as far as visitors who spoke a foreign language, if there wasn't an interpreter, then he would be quiet too. There's no sense in having somebody get up to the podium and start talking and nobody understands what they say. Uh, you got to be able to understand what's being said or there's no benefit to it. So basically that's the rule Paul's setting down. Uh, if, if there is no interpreter, Hush, keep your seat. And only let the ones who uh, can communicate with people uh, take the podium. If there was a visitor there and somebody was in the congregation that had the gift of interpretation, the visitor could get up and speak and the member of the congregation would interpret for him. Now you can do that. That's what we do in India. There's nothing wrong with that. But imagine us Americans speaking to the Indians without an interpreter. Well, they wouldn't understand a word we said. So why do it? And that's Paul's point. Why do it? So he's going to shut them down, but he's doing it diplomatically. Okay? He's using uh, some finesse when he addresses the people. Sometimes just being outright bold and blusterous isn't necessarily the best way. Sometimes you've got to be diplomatic in the way you deal with it problems uh, otherwise it, 
could blow up in your face and cause all kinds of problems. At any rate, this is, a, this is the subject the entire chapter is all about, is uh, getting this problem with tongues under control. <clears throat> we looked at verse 1 last week, pursue love, make a diligent effort to learn how to love. It's something you've got to learn how to do. It's not a natural thing. I believe that when we're born, we're, we're very selfish creatures. Uh, everything is about me. You don't care about your mom or daddy's time. It's about me. I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I want to eat. Now I want to eat right now or you ain't going to sleep. As, as, as infants, we are extremely selfish people. And uh, we have to learn how not to be that way. As an infant, we're driven by the lust of the body basically hunger, or if you're wet or something like that, uncomfortable. Um, but uh, from that point forward, uh, there has to be uh, education in order to master the things we're supposed to be doing. Well, that's what love is. Uh, of course, the emotional love, when you fall in love with somebody and your eyes get all twinkly and all that stuff, that's beyond a person's control. That just happens. Uh, of course, we can shut it down and say no to it, but uh, the feeling's going to be there. But the love that Paul was talking about, that the Bible deals with all the time, is a, a, a decision we make. I choose to love my enemy. One, that's one thing I had a hard time with back when I was uh, first obeyed the gospel. Uh, I, I didn't love my enemy. Uh, man, I really didn't love my enemy. And I knew that was a big problem for me, and I just didn't know how to get around it. And uh, one time when I was in India, uh, Raju, he helped me understand uh, better about the matter of love. Talking about, we were talking about them getting married, prearranged marriages, marry somebody they'd never seen before. And you know, that just blew my mind. I don't know, how do you do that? And then uh, he said, uh, Americans uh, marry the people they fall in love with. He said, we fall in love with the people we marry. And it took me about a year to figure it out. I've always been slow. But uh, it finally dawned on me uh, what he was talking about. And it's just a matter of choice. Uh, I choose to love my enemy. Well, why would anybody choose that? Because the Lord wants me to. I mean, he loved his enemy, me. Why? Because he chose to. He wanted to. With the hope that I would uh, change my ways, of course, in due time. But uh, the same thing is true about us who are made in his image. Just like God chose to love us, we can choose to love God. And we can choose to love even our enemies. And when we understand that, <clears throat> we need to pursue it, practice it. We have to practice loving other people. What does that mean? Do, do them good. Somebody that's your enemy, he's down and out, instead of kicking him, 
uh, offer him a hand up, maybe. Or as Jesus would say, if he needs a drink of water, give him a drink of water. Okay? Uh, you don't have to like him. You're not going to like him. But you can help him if he needs help. That's what the love of the Bible is. Therefore, Paul can say, pursue love. That's something we can do. And that's something we must do. Because you know as well as I do, that's the first two commands. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, it's not impossible. It's very possible. Just a choice, that's all. At any rate, pursue love. And it's all right to desire spiritual gifts. Now, a lot of people want the spiritual gifts for the wrong reason. They want to be a somebody. They want to be in the limelight. They want to be an important person. They wanted everybody to know that they had been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. But a lot of people had the wrong motives, and I would, I would suppose they didn't receive gifts from the Spirit because they had the wrong attitude. But a person with the right attitude, Paul's saying, there's nothing wrong with wanting a gift. If, if you're wanting to do mission work, for example, you want the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, so you can go out and teach people the will of God. Well, that's an honorable thing to do. It's nothing wrong with desiring the gifts, Paul's saying. That's fine. But especially if you're going to desire a gift, especially desire that you might prophesy. And then he's going to explain why. Because of the value in uh, prophesying. Now prophesying, you know, I know you know, isn't always about foretelling the future. Prophecy can occur in three ways. Number one, telling about history, like Moses did. Uh, 1500 B.C., thereabouts, 1450, 1500, whatever. Uh, Moses wrote about the creation something that happened 2,500 years earlier. Uh, he was prophesying about the past. And then, of course, there's prophecy in the present when you're just teaching the will of God to someone, discussing the will of God. You know, that's a prophecy. If you're trying to teach someone, uh, you're, you're prophesying according to New Testament language. Or it could be telling the future. I would think that most of the prophecy that was done at this time in history probably had to do more with preaching than it had to do with foretelling the future. There wasn't much more to tell. The only, the only valuable revelation that comes to my mind at this juncture would have been uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and then, of course, uh, John's four books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, whoop, five books, and then the book of Revelation, uh, especially the book of Revelation. That was the last prophecy that was ever given. But uh, So I would suppose that at this time, uh, it was mostly about preaching. Uh, why? Because you can do good. You can teach people. And that's a good thing. So uh, when he speaks about prophecy, he might be talking about foretelling the future. Uh, I think probably it mostly had to do with revealing the will of God as it has been revealed 
up to this point. And up to this point, there had been quite a bit of the will of God revealed. Uh, why? Everybody wanted tongues because you can conceal it. Uh, he who speaks in a tongue, a foreign language, uh, he doesn't speak to men. He speaks to God. Why? Because men don't understand what he's saying. He's not talking to men. If I was speaking French, I wouldn't be speaking to you. Well, who am I speaking to? Well, I must be speaking to God. I guess I'm going to teach God something, but uh, it doesn't make any sense. He's not speaking to men. There's no value in what he's doing, for no one understands what he's saying. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. I'm not real sure what that means, the mysteries. Uh, earlier in the letter, 1 Corinthians 2 and 7, uh, Paul referred to the mysteries as being the wisdom of God, which would be basically preaching, okay, at this point. Uh, the mysteries had to do with, uh, predominantly in the beginning, had to do with the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one body in Christ. No longer the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the great mystery throughout 4,000 years is that in Christ, there's only going to be one body rather than two. That was uh, a big mystery. And then, of course, uh, after that, uh, everything that was revealed was a mystery. Baptism for the remission of sins. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was a mystery that was revealed. Uh, and these things, of course, uh, could qualify for what Paul's talking about. Uh, if that's not what it is, I don't know what it would be. Um, he speaks mysteries. Maybe, maybe he speaks something that's unknown to people because he's speaking in a tongue, and it's a, it's a great mystery. Could be that, too, I suppose. But uh, other than that, I'm drawing blanks. Anybody got any idea or suggestions? I always look for help. Uh, verse 3, but in contrast to speaking in tongues, he who prophesies uh, speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who prophesies has something to offer people. Uh, edification is to enlighten or strengthen people. Uh, revealing the will of God. Sometimes uh, people, they, they leave church and they get angry because the, the preacher got on my toes and uh, they get angry. Uh, if their heart was pure and if the preacher preached the truth, uh, if the preacher gets on my toes, it should make me happy because now I can see my sin, and now that I know what it is, I can repent okay, and be sinless again. So there's value to having your toes stepped on. Uh, so if people, if the truth is taught and people get their, their feelings hurt, um, they probably need to look inside rather than complaining about what's going on outside. Uh, the idea, the intention of preaching is to uh, strengthen people um, to good works. D you do good works 
and, 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 and to bring up the things being done and a person feels good because they know they're doing what the Lord wants them to do. Uh, if, if you're preaching to edify, you're preaching to uh, build people up because they are walking in the light and that just, uh, that just strengthens us. Exhortation uh, is to urge obedience. Over in uh, India again, uh, you would preach for whatever, and when you got done preaching through the translator, uh, me, the preacher, I'd sit down, and then my interpreter, he would do what the Indians call exhort. He would exhort the people. Uh, basically, it's like our devotional. Uh, Wednesday night devotional or the way a, a preacher summarizes his sermon uh, exhort people or urge people to obey the gospel urge Christians to continue walking in the light of the gospel that's the meaning of the word exhortation and then you've got comfort and that is uh, to encourage uh, because of the promises regardless of how difficult today may be there's a better day coming. And as long as you have hope, you have something to hold on to. It can, it can embolden our faith. So the idea of prophecy, therefore, there's, uh, there's three benefits to it that Paul names, and that is edification, exhortation, and comfort or encouragement. Uh, tongue speaking, no benefit. Nobody understands what you're saying. Prophecy. Three benefits. So if you really, really want to help the church, build up Christ's church, wouldn't it make sense to desire the gift of prophecy rather than the gift of tongues? But if you're a fraud, <laughs> you, can, you can fraudulently go through the tongues thing because nobody knows what you're saying. But if it's prophecy... Everybody's going to find out who you are because all they got to do is remember what's been taught by other preachers and what you're saying is not true. He who speaks in a tongue edifies, enlightens, strengthens himself. That would be the uh, result if uh, I spoke a foreign language. Um, I can't understand what's going on in the church uh, in India again. I hate to keep doing this, but... Uh, Sometimes, uh, rather than us preaching, we'd be listening. Not really, because we don't understand what they're saying. We're just sitting there. So what are you going to do? Well, usually I sit there and I study the Bible. I'm not trying to be discourteous, but I might as well get some value out of the time. So I sit there and have my own private little Bible study. Uh, I spoke in a tongue, and therefore I could edify myself. Okay, I'm the only person I can help. I can't help anybody else. They don't understand what I'm saying. But he who prophesies, now he, he edifies the church. Okay, he can build people up. There's value to this person. I wish you all spoke with tongues. It's a, a good gift to have. You can travel the world, speak to people wherever you go. I really wish you all had that gift. But even more, I, I wish that you all could prophesy because now you have something to say. Rather than just edifying yourself, now we would all be out there edifying other people, building them up, 
and that would be a good thing to do. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Now, boy, you imagine them tongue speakers. I mean, he's really giving them a tongue lashing. Uh, I don't know if they realize it or not, but he's putting into their business. They're not going to be able to drum up any money or, or fraudulently uh, deceive people any longer because now he's going to have to keep his mouth shut. And uh, he's just, he's ruining it for them, but you can't tell he's doing it. You know? He's sticking his tongue out at him, but they can't tell who it is that's sticking out their tongue. They just know there's a tongue pointing at them. Uh, he, was, uh, he was very diplomatic, Paul was, at certain times. Sometimes he was really frank, but sometimes he was very diplomatic. Uh, indeed, unless indeed, of course, he interprets that the church may receive edification. If the church is going to benefit, go for it. But if there is no benefit, uh, just, just stay, hold your peace, because there's no value. And uh, that would help the problem they had at Corinth. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? All this has to do with intelligible words. They can understand what he's saying. If I can do this, I can help build up the church. But if I just talk in my own language, foreign language, uh, there's simply no value to it. Tongue speaking obviously was a serious problem in Corinth. There must have been a whole lot of it going on. It was dividing the church, and it was totally unnecessary. After they read this letter, that was going to come to a halt. When we get to the second letter, you can see that all this stuff has been straightened out, uh, probably by the elders at the time. Even things without life, whether a flute, a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? I think he used to go do 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 on that horn, remember the cavalry? And they charge! And then they had another tune they would play on that thing. When they did, retreat, go the other way. Uh, even even a, a, a horn, an animate object, if it makes an uncertain sound, nobody's gonna know whether to retreat or to charge. Therefore, it has to have a distinct sound so it could be understood what to do. Uh, even, uh, even inanimate objects accomplish more than tongue speakers do. You know, there's a lot of tongue speakers today. Uh, this is a big deal in some uh, denominations. Uh, they, they speak in tongues and uh, do all kinds of things. Uh, as you can see, Paul, didn't see uh, any godliness whatsoever in that behavior. And if it isn't from God, then from whom did it come? It doesn't take a Solomon to figure that out. So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? You know, the same thing could be said about speaking in $4 words. The preacher, if he gets up and does all of his talking in $4 words, what good's he going to do? 
I, I read an article one time, uh, it was about the Good Samaritan, it made into a story. And uh, when I got done reading it, I thought to myself, you know, if I didn't know what the Good Samaritan was all about, now that I've read this article, I still wouldn't know what it was all about. Uh, sometimes uh, words are used to impress people uh, rather than to communicate. And the bigger the words, the more people are, well, it's believed, the more they're, they're impressed. But what's the, what's the value of it? Why would a preacher do that? Why would he speak in $4 words? Nobody knows those words. I mean, I, I can go to a doctor and they can say stuff about their medical terms and all that, and I don't have a clue what he said. And then generally a nurse will break it down for me because uh, right over the top of my head. Uh, what good was he in communicating to me? He was no good at all. If it wasn't for the nurse, uh, I wouldn't have known what happened. Uh, and that's what Paul's saying here. Unless you speak with words that people can actually understand. That's one of the reasons I believe the Lord uh, had man turn to Koine Greek. Uh, about 300 years B.C., uh, Koine Greek was, uh, it became popular among uh, the Romans, um, People, when they spoke of it, they, they spoke of it as the language of the people. Uh, in today's uh, vernacular, uh, someone would say uh, street Greek because that's what it was. It was, it was ain't, y'all. It was, it was the way people talk. If you're in Tennessee, you talk with a southern slant. If you go up in the Northeast, you gotta learn to tone that down because nobody will understand you. You have to speak in a way that people can understand uh, or there's no value to it. So why, why would a preacher try to speak $4 words? His, his, his purpose is to help people understand. That's supposed to be my purpose is to help us understand as simply as possible what is being said to us. Uh, if that's not why I'm here, then why am I here? And is it a godly reason? Is it a good reason? You know, people can be very intelligent, very personable. Uh, people can speak um, in a way that, uh, oh, I don't want to say $4 words, but, uh, they have language skills that are so awesome that uh, they mesmerize you when they speak. You know, there's, there's people who have a, a gift for public speaking. And uh, sometimes uh, the purpose of preaching isn't so much to help people understand the scriptures as it is uh, for money things of that nature. You know, when, uh, when Paul uh, addressed, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, you do know he was talking to preachers, don't you? It was the preachers who had a problem with it, and he was trying to tamper their problem. 
uh, they had to get that under control. They had to have a, a right reason for talking. And it wasn't supposed to be money. That wasn't supposed to be what drives them. Uh, my brother-in-law, he worked with uh, a boy who was going to uh, uh, Bible school. I don't know where. Um, worked for City Coopville up there. And uh, Dale asked him, he said, uh, when you get out of school, uh, what denomination are you going to preach for? He said, well, I haven't figured that out yet. And he, he said, well, when do you think you'll figure that out? He said, well, I guess it depends on whoever pays me the most money. I, that's not a good reason to be a preacher, but it makes me wonder how many are doing that very thing. It has to be words that are easy to understand or there's no value to it. And it's gotta, you gotta have the right motive. Without the right motive. Uh, we had a boy here one time, he was going to Freed Hardeman School. And uh, he was visiting during one of our meetings or something. And uh, I was at the back door. I always liked this kid, great kid. Uh, he come out the door, man, he stood up there about six foot four, I'd say. I had to look up at him and uh, I asked him how school was going. He said, I dropped out. I said, well, what'd you do that for? He had a scholarship. What'd you drop out for? He said, all they, all they wanted us to do was study the Bible. I said, what was you going to school for? He said, I was going to make a preacher. But all they wanted us to do was study the Bible all the time, study the Bible. And uh, he didn't want to study the Bible, but he wanted to be a preacher. And I told him it was probably a good thing that you dropped out and go do something else. I wonder sometimes how much is not understood about some of the most basic things of all, things we shouldn't even have to talk about. But I do think there's a problem with such things, and that, of course, is preachers. And that's why Paul talked about preachers and money. They, they get the heebie-jeebies, uh, wanting money, and the money gets out in front of their uh, purpose. Anyway, uh, well, we got past all that right now. Uh, it will not be known what is spoken or teaching without profit. For you will be speaking into the air uh, with a tongue, a foreign language. Nobody knows. <clears throat> there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them without, is without significance. Every language is important, no matter what side of the world it's on. <clears throat> the ESV uh, says, verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. And uh, I think that's a little easier to understand, maybe. Uh, every language exists so there can be communication between human beings. Therefore, every language is significant, important. I'm not dissing the tongues, Paul said. I'm not dissing that. Uh, this is very important. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. If I spoke French, you all spoke English, get it off the stage. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Your motive 
Why do you want the gift? What do you hope to achieve? What do you hope to accomplish? I think all of us sort of think about that regardless of what our work is, and we all have work to do, but regardless of our work, what it is, uh, the question that, that you know I got to ask myself is why am I doing this? What's uh, what's the purpose of my doing this? Uh, what do I hope to gain? And if it's if it's not to to edify the church, I probably don't need to be doing it. My motive isn't good at all. Either that or change my motive. Therefore, let him who speaks in the tongue pray that he might be able to interpret somebody else. If I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. There's no value to it. Uh, and that's me speaking in a tongue. Uh, this was the, I think, the fraudulent, the, the guys that jabber, jabber, jabber. Uh, they get nothing out of it either. The audience doesn't, and they don't. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit uh, from within, inner person. When I pray, I pray from the, the soul, my soul. I speak to the Lord. I will also pray with understanding, understanding what it is I'm saying to the Lord, not jibber-jabber, intelligible words. Uh, the inner man is what he's talking about and tells you words, okay. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. I will sing from the inner man, and I'm going to understand the words that I'm singing. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I sang a song. I led the song, uh, Where Could I Go But to the Lord? used to be song 23 in our old books. I don't know what it is now. But uh, there was one verse in that song. Uh, I used to love that song like crazy. There's one verse in it It says, uh, living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. And I got done singing that song, Peggy Anderson come up to me. And she said, you ever stop to think about what you're singing? Well, no, not really. You ought to stop and think about what you're singing. Are you barely getting by? Are you unable to afford a comfort? I said, well, no, not really. Well, why would you sing it? And I thought she raised a very good point. So whenever I led that song afterwards, had four verses, I passed verse three. I wouldn't sing it again because it wasn't true what I was saying. But I learned a very valuable lesson that day to pay attention to my words in a song. Why? Because I will sing with the understanding. I'll understand what it is I'm singing. Uh, every now and then we usually have a sermon series on our hymns, explaining what it is the hymn is all about uh, so we can understand it because we need to. Again, it's the inner man, the intelligible words. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? 
I don't know if you've ever given much thought to it, but uh, sometimes people pray and I can't hear what they're saying. And uh, I love to uh, state my agreement with a prayer at the end of the prayer by saying amen, even when somebody else prays. But when somebody prays and I can't understand what they're saying, I can't say amen. Because I don't know if I'm in a place where I could put my stamp on it like that. I don't know what was said. So sometimes a person prays and I can understand what we're praying. Sometimes a person prays and I don't understand what's being said and I can't say amen. And that always bothers me. But we have to pray with understanding. We've got to understand what we're asking for when we speak to the Lord. And here's what Paul says. If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, speaking of the tongue? How can he say amen? He didn't understand what you said. He doesn't know if he agrees with you or not. There's a lot of little things we do that we don't maybe think about that we ought to think about, and that's why things like this happen. Uh, how will he say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Didn't understand a word. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I speak more foreign languages than everybody here. Yet in the church, I would rather say just five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Better say five words that you can understand better than to stand here and spew out 10,000 words in French. At least the five words has got some value. The words, uh, I may preach on that for long, Words are, uh, are very important. In my mind, I think of a word like a car or a truck. Uh, the, the purpose of the car or the truck is to move us from one place to another. Well, words are vehicles. And the purpose of the word is that I can take a thought that's in my head and I can pass it on to you. And the word is the car that gets the word from my mind to your mind. Uh, that makes words very significant because words have meaning. Uh, everything we say has meaning, whether good or bad, it has meaning. Therefore, we should be careful of our words uh, you know, James talked about maybe one of our uh, greatest obstacles in life is our, our words. We will, Jesus said we're going to give uh, an account for every idle word we speak. You know, that's a lot of words. Sometimes uh, we, we just rattle. Half the time we may not even understand what we're saying. We just talk. And we talk fast so you can't cut in on me because I want to tell my story. 
So I talk fast. I don't give you the space in between my words to jump in. Do I actually know what I'm saying when I say it? Do I understand what I've just said? Because I have to give an account for those words. Words are very important. Uh, but that's enough about words for today. We'll, uh, we'll take up with verse 20, God willing, next Sunday. Am I going to be here next Sunday? No, next Sunday's the retreat, isn't it? Okay. Uh, it'll be the, the following Sunday, I suppose. Two weeks from today. We'll all forget what we're talking about by then, won't we? 